You are listening to a three-week teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Living Stones. This series looks at 1 Peter 2 to learn about the type of community Jesus wants to build through local churches. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. If you are new with us this morning, let me just catch up to speed a little bit. We are in uh, the end of our Living Stones series. This was a three-week series where uh, we're looking at this uh, passage in First Peter 2, 4 through 12. And so if you've been with us the last few weeks, you're probably thinking to yourself, man, can we get done with this thing? Because we've been reading the same verses every single morning. I mean, it's no surprise when the scripture reader comes up. It's like, all right, I've heard that one before. So appreciate Tanya for keeping that alive for us in spite of the redundancy there. But this really is, this sermon series is going to look like uh, three, one big sermon spread across three weeks. And so it doesn't even look like three separate sermons, but it looks like one big sermon spread across three weeks. And so if you hear me repeat things today that you've heard the last few weeks, I apologize for that. Uh, just driving it home a little more. But um, it, we will be kind of looking back on some things we've already talked about and then looking ahead to uh, wrap up this passage and this series as a whole. So... The first week when we came to the series, what we looked at is we looked at this, this verse 4 where, he's, where Peter writes, As you come to him as to a living stone, you are going to be built together as a spiritual house, as living stones. And it's this whole idea that, that God is a father who wants a family and that he, when we come to Jesus individually, he builds us together with other people. It's this whole idea that this personal relationship between me and God really isn't an option. That it's not about just me knowing Jesus and me kind of doing the Jesus thing, but not really doing the whole church thing. But what this verse tells us is that when we come to the living stone, Jesus, he builds us together as a house, built brick upon brick, one one person upon another person. And so anytime we come close to him, it means coming close to each other. And anytime we want to get closer to him, it probably means getting closer to each other. So if you've got some space in your seats there and you want to get a little snugged up to the person next to you so you can get closer to Jesus, you just go on and do that this morning. If you don't, I understand. So we talked about this, and one of the big takeaways that we had from this first week was that God not only wants to make us built into community, but he wants to make us builders of his community. It's this whole idea from the beginning of the Bible, book one, Genesis, to the end of the Bible, last book, Revelation, that God's a father who's wanting a family for himself. God isn't just wanting individuals. He's not saying, I want to add you to myself, and you to myself, and you to myself, and you to myself. But since the beginning, he was saying, I want a people for myself. And when he ends, he says, you are my people and I am your God. We're possessed by God. We're owned by God as a people, as individuals, absolutely. But as a people, we're his people and he is our God. And then the second week, last week, we moved on in the series. We started begin, we began to talk through this verse in verse 8, where, verse 9, where he says that you were once not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's this whole idea Peter's writing about that you were outside the camp and Jesus came to you and he brought you inside the camp. That you were once not a part and then God came to you and he made you a part of his people. It's this idea that Jesus didn't just shout down from the heavens, I want you to come to me. But no, he came and made his table among us. He came and tabernacled among us, as the scripture said. He went out into the dark places and he got us who were in darkness and he brought us into light. 
He went out into the places where we were far from him and he brought us in to the very temple of God, to the very holy of holies, to the place where God's presence dwelt. He said, I want you to come in with me. If you're here this morning and you're, and you're a follower of Jesus, you believe in Jesus Christ, you've been joined to him. The reality is that you were once in darkness, but he has made you in his light. He's brought you in. And he says to us, now that you've been brought in, I want you to go and bring others in as well. Those who are not a part, I want you to go and make them a part. Those who are on the outside, I want you to go and bring them on the inside. One of the big ways that we do this as a church is through hospitality. God was hospitable to us. He, he had this invitation. He said, come. No, 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 come to me. I invite you in to sit at my table, to table with me and to eat with me and to enjoy me. And now as Christians, if you, if you call on the name of Jesus today, the call to us is to go to those who aren't yet a part and say, come on in. I want you to come on in, table with me, eat with me. This is what biblical hospitality is. It's that we open our lives to other people. We open our doors, we open our tables to other people. We say, come on in. If you're here this morning and you have not yet received Jesus, if you haven't yet become a part of Jesus' family, if you're looking in on Christianity and you're thinking, man, man I, I, I think I might want to, but I'm not sure. Maybe you're coming in and you're thinking, I'm really skeptical of this whole thing. My, my heart for you and our heart for you today is that you would experience this biblical hospitality, that you would come here and you would experience people who open their lives to you. You'd experience people who open their homes to you. You'd experience people who aren't just sitting next to you in a seat, but are wanting to engage you, wanting to know you, wanting to bring you in. So last week we talked about hospitality. This week we move on into verses 11 and 12. And one of the things about this this letter that Peter wrote is that he wasn't oblivious to the fact that life's hard. As a matter of fact, when Peter was writing this letter, Nero had just been appointed over the people and he was persecuting Christians. And as Peter's writing this letter, he's on his way to be executed. I just so love that Jess shared that this morning about those Christians being persecuted and beheaded because it so connects with what we're talking about today. As Peter's writing this letter, he's not saying it's going to be all lollipops and unicorns, don't worry. Now he's saying, yeah, you're to be this cohesive people. You're to be this inclusive people, but it's not going to be easy. And actually the culture that Peter's writing to in this day, the Christians and the culture they lived in, it's a similar culture to what we have today. No one's having their heads chopped off here in America just yet. No one's being thrown in prison for what they believe just yet. But the reality is that the culture around us is pressing in on those who would who would look to the claims of Christ and say, yeah, I believe that. The culture of this world is saying, you guys are ridiculous for what you believe. You're fools for what you believe. I mean, yeah, I can get on with the fact that Jesus was a good dude and he taught good things and he, and he did good deeds, but I can't get on with this fact that you think that your God actually put on flesh, became a man, that you think your God actually rose from the dead, that you think you can actually have a relationship with some transcendent God? To most people, that sounds like a ridiculous statement. And if it's not true, it is a ridiculous statement. It's a ridiculous thing to believe the Christian faith if it's not true. And the culture that we live in today is continually pressing down upon what Christians believe, continually, in a sense, persecuting Christians for what they claim to believe. It shouldn't be a surprise to us that Jesus came into the world and he was despised and rejected by men. If we want to claim him and we want to claim his claims, it shouldn't be a surprise that we're despised and rejected by men as well. 
And as Peter's writing this, he writes them and he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Sojourners and exiles. If you want to pick up on what that sojourners is talking about, what he's talking about is that they were in a land that didn't belong to them. They were sojourning through a place where they didn't fit in, where they weren't with the in crowd, where where people looked at them and thought, you don't belong here. And exiles, it wasn't easy. Lots of tribulation for them. When when someone who isn't a Christian looks on a Christian's life, they should notice that they look like a sojourner. They look like an alien. They should notice that, man, the way you do family life and the way you do finances and the way that you think about your sexuality and the way that you think about your possessions looks so different from what I'm used to. To be a Christian in the world today means to be an alien in the world. And he writes on and he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against the soul. It's this whole idea that yes, we're to be in the world, but we're not to be of the world if you call on Christ. That yes, you're to be, just as he goes on, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. It's this tension he holds that you're, you're to abstain from fleshly passions, but you're to be among the Gentiles. It's this whole thing Jesus prayed for the disciples in John 17, that you're to be in the world, but not of the world. When Paul wrote his letter to the Colossians, he took note of this and he said, yes, Colossians, you're in Christ. He didn't go on to say you're in Christ. You're seated in heavenly places. Don't act like you're in Colossae. Just believe that you're in heaven. Believe it and see it and seize it. He didn't say that. What he says was, yes, you're in Christ and you're in Colossae. It's this idea that we've got one foot in Christ, one foot rooted down in him, one foot being built up in him. We've got one foot in Colossae. We've got one foot in this world. If you woke up this morning, I don't know which foot you maybe felt the most of. You might have woke up and thought, man, I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I'm in this, you know, whatever. Or maybe you woke up and thought, oh, I'm in his mercies and I'm new this morning. But what the scripture says is that both are reality. I'm in Christ, but I'm in St. Louis. And what Peter writes to this church is he says, I urge you as sojourners to abstain. Don't become syncretist in your lifestyle. Don't become like chameleons and just sync up with what the culture is doing. Don't just kind of try and blend in and not stick out. No, no, no. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation set apart for God, for his own possession. Don't just try and blend in and look like everyone else. No, no, no. You're meant to be set apart. You're meant to be something special. You're meant to look like a light in the world. At the same time, be among the Gentiles, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So yeah, I'm meant to be free from the passions of the flesh. I'm meant to live as a sojourner, but I'm also, I'm also to be among the Gentiles. Now this is hard. When we try and play this out and we really live this life, it's not so cookie cutter and cut and dry. It's not so black and white. Just recently, my wife and I went to a coffee shop and we're hanging out with some friends and I'm, I'm in this coffee shop and I'm thinking, man, I, I feel so out of place here. As some of the pictures on the wall, uh, I won't describe them in detail, but made me feel really uncomfortable. 
I was like, man, I don't even know if I can like sit here right now. And there's this plaque on the wall that said, yeah, I'm going to hell. And I'm glad about it because that's where all my friends are going to be. I mean, think like, okay, this place was, it was rough around the edges a little bit. And I'm sitting there with these friends of mine and I'm thinking, God, I want to be in Colossae. I want to be in St. Louis. I want to I don't want to go hide away in my Christian bunker and act like this stuff doesn't happen and that this, the world's not really like this and just kind of be my light in my own little spot. I don't, want to, I don't want to be distant from this, but I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, God, is this defiling me? Is this, is this kind of turning me against you? Is, am, I being, am I being tainted by this? I mean, so this is nice to talk about, but when it gets down into the bare bones of reality, this gets difficult. And I'm sitting there with this battle inside of me of, Jesus, I know you sat with tax collectors and sinners. I know you sat in the dark places. I know you weren't phased by that. And yet you didn't sin. I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, God, can you make me like this? Can you make me like you in this? That, that I can sit here in this dark place and be, be surrounded by these things that I know you don't, you don't like. I know this doesn't make you happy. And yet still honor you. Still be, still be pleasing to you. That I could be light in a dark place. If you open up to Matthew 5, you don't have to turn there. We'll have it on the screen for you. Jesus gives us an analogy that really helps me on this one. He's speaking to his disciples. Page 810 in that black Bible, if you want to go there. If not, it's up on the screen for you. He's speaking to his disciples and he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now see, we get this all flipped around. We say, oh man, Jesus is the salt of the earth. But he says, you are. You are the salt of the earth. Now I don't like it when a Somebody speaking asked me to raise my hand, but if you, if you like potato chips in here, just raise your hand for me. If you're a chip person, you like that salty, that savory. Yeah? Thank you. I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have raised my hand. But. I could get on with some chips. That's sour cream and cheddar ruffles. I'll take a bag down of those. Give me some chips and salsa. You better have another bag. You know what I'm saying? Hope somebody else gets some. Spice things up a little bit. There's salt is some flavor, right? Salt makes it taste good. Salt makes things. I want some more of that. So it's Pringles, you know. Pop one, you can't stop. Say I'm a Pringle. I wouldn't have said it either. I think somebody did though. Do you say that? Love you guys. He's saying, you're the salt of the earth. You bring flavor to the earth. You bring life to the earth. You, you preserve it. You make it taste good. Somebody gets in touch with you, they go, oh, I want some more of that. Give me those Pringles. I want to get around those Pringles. <laughs> I think he left. I got a buddy who's been coming to church the last few months. He, he, he got cornered in by Christians. I mean, we just, Jubilee folks surrounded this dude. And he started coming. He said, you guys are amazing. You're just incredible people. I don't know where he's at with Jesus. I mean, he, he maybe knows him, maybe doesn't. I don't know. He started coming around because he started tasting something. He did start coming around once I moved away from him, though. So I don't, 
Other people must have been better or something, but he tasted something. He got some salt in his mouth, and he said, I want more of that. You're the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. If you're a Christian and you feel, man, I feel like I'm being trampled under people. I feel like this world's just kind of tossing me around. It may be that you're losing your saltiness. It may be that you need some more cohesion in your life. It may be that you need some more time with the living stone being built into the living house. It may be that you're kind of out there just floating on your own. And Jesus says, I want to add you into something. I want to make you salty. We rub off on a few things. We get... We, we take this salt and it in the world and this, we become less salty. There's this continual rhythm we need of becoming salty by him, becoming salty by one another and then going out and being the salt of the earth. He goes on, he says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill that can't be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to all the house. God says, I've put a light in you. I've lit you up with myself. I've put my life and my hope in you if you've called on Jesus. Don't put that thing under a basket. Don't get into this holy huddle thing where it's just me and my Christian buddies. No, no, no. Take that light out into the world. God's not a fool. He doesn't just Put a light on and then put it under a basket. No, he puts a light on and he puts it on top of a hill so that everyone can see. It can give life to all the house. I think what Jesus is trying to say to us is get that salt out of the salt shaker. Get it out of there. It's not just meant to be for our enjoyment, not just so we can taste salty. No, no, no. We're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. He goes on and he uses the same phrase that Peter uses. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That they may give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This isn't easy. We need the Spirit of God to do this. We need the Spirit of God filling us and flooding us and leading us and teaching us in order to ever be able to do this. I find this difficult, and I don't even have kids. I can't imagine how hard this gets when you have kids. I can't imagine how hard this gets when you want, you want your kids to be salty and to know God, but you also want to teach them to go out into the world. I'm sure that's difficult. I'm praying for you guys. I'm praying for you guys with kids. But it's not. It's for all of us. It's for all of us to be this way. Peter goes on. He says, although they... In the thing in which they slander you as evildoers. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Just uh, in the fall, this last fall 2014, I was driving down Hampton Avenue and I saw this uh, 80-year-old man leaf-blowing his yard with a cane in one hand and a leaf-blower in the other. I thought, dude, you impressed me. That's, I wouldn't be doing that at your age. But, so I pulled over and said, hey, can I help you out? And he said, you know, I'm done leaf-blowing here, but my guttering fell off of my 
how you got a little gutter drain. He said, it fell off my house. Can you just hook it back up? So, it, you know, it took me 10 minutes, hooked it back up. And we got to talking, and he's like, man, I, people in your generation just don't do this. He's, he really was feeling some, I think, bitterness towards our, my generation, saying, you guys are just kind of in your old world, doing your own thing. Thanks for stopping. It really, you know, really helped me out. We exchanged numbers, kept in touch. We've been calling back and forth. He called me a couple more times. Hey, can you do this? You know, I need that help in my yard. And, and then he calls me up and says, hey, I got a blender. You want a blender? I'll give you a blender. So he's... <laughs> I like smoothies. There's the message. You bless people, you'll get a blender. No, but it's this, it's this thing that in talking with this guy, I could tell there's no way on God's green earth, if I bring up the gospel right now, he's going to be receptive to it. But because I just did a little good deed, because I was able to bless him a little bit, we got this relationship that began to open this door. And I'm going to share the good news with him because I love this guy. I think this guy's incredible. I want to bless him as much as I can. And I can't think of any better way to bless him than to share the good news with him. But the good deed did this little thing to open a little door that has a little more crack to show him, I love you. I'm not just wanting to get you to believe what I believe. No, no, I love you, and God loves you, and God wants you. And it's these little deeds that as, they, as the world looks upon these deeds and they see these deeds, they'll glorify God in the day of visitation. That's why as a church we've been passionate about doing things that don't just preach a message to a community, but really serve a community in a holistic way. It's this thing in Acts 2, the Acts church did the same thing. Acts, the beginning of chapter 2, Peter preaches this message and says that 3,000 were saved and added to the church that day. But then later on in Acts 2, as you read along, it says that the church is doing all these things, miracles and healings, and they're continuing to preach the word, and they're serving the community, and they're serving each other, and they're sharing possessions. It says that, that everyone stood in awe. And then in verse 47, it says, and they had favor with all the people, and God was adding to their number day by day. There were people when Peter preached that message that said, no, I don't believe it. It just looks like a bunch of drunks to me. I'm skeptical. I'm not buying into that thing. But then as they saw the community of God being the community of God, they went, there's something there. That people's incredible. Although they may, you may be vilified for what you believe, your, your works validate it. See, I believe in Jesus. I'm preaching Jesus. You may be vilified for that. But when we do these good deeds as a community, it validates our message. Because we're not just saying the words, but we're living the life. That's why we've done things as a church like this, this Christmas store last year. Where You guys were amazing. You donated over like 350 gifts. And we set up this whole store. And this, it looked like a shop in here where you could come shopping. And we, we sent out invites to this local school. And said, if you've got any kids that, you know, their parents probably won't be able to put on a Christmas for them, just send them to our store. And they can do some shopping here with our gifts. And so parents were able to buy like a $10 gift for $1. And we had over 70 families come and shop at this store. And, and one of the families that I remember, uh, more than any of them, came in. And, and it was this uh, really sweet grandma. And she, she was taking care of her granddaughter. And she said, yeah, my granddaughter's a size 7, moving into a size 8. And all she's got is size 6 jeans. And I can't afford to buy her the next size of jeans. And so I, came, I heard about this Christmas store. And I thought, man, 
be great if they had the jeans that I needed. And she came in and she was shopping in the store, not seeing any clothes. She found two sets of clothes for little girls. And one of them had a size eight pair of jeans. I remember talking to her with streams running down her face. She said, this is amazing. This was a gift to me. I'm, I'm so excited to go home and tell my granddaughter I've got her some new jeans. Now did she, was she like far from God and in that moment she said, I'm going to believe in Jesus? No. But she was touched by this people who've been blessed by God and therefore say, I want to bless the world. That's why our Tower Grove community groups just recently went out into Tower Grove and started picking up trash in the Tower Grove neighborhood. No one got down on their knees and said, Jesus is Lord. But it opens a little door that says, no, we're here to serve. We're here to bless. We're here to participate in what's happening in this community. And as we do those things, more opportunities get opened up to us. From that Christmas store, we've been able to help landscape some of that community. We've been, we just got invited to a yard sale this last Saturday. There's, there's these little cracks in the door that are beginning to open where we can say, no, no, we want to partner with you in seeing your city have welfare. It's this thing that Jeremiah, the prophet, Jeremiah had a rough, he had a rough go. God gave that dude a hard life. And and the people of Israel in, in Jeremiah 27, they've just been taken into exile to the Babylonians. And, and they're in exile to the Babylonians, which means that they're slaves to the Babylonians. So if you think about, man, what would be best for my kids? What would be best for my family? It's not to be in exile to the Babylonians, that's for sure. But the people of Israel, Jeremiah, 29, Jeremiah 27, they're taken in exile to the Babylonians. And this prophet named Hananiah comes to the people of Israel and he says, Hey guys, I know you're in exile. I know this is rough, but I've heard the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is you're only going to be in exile for two years, and then you get to go on into that promised land. Just two years of suffering and difficulty, and you get to go on into that promised land. Only two years, guys. Don't worry. Hang tight. Jeremiah goes off. He says, God, is that true? Just two years? The Lord says, No, that's not true. I've got him here for 70 years. Seven zero. The psalmist writes that the, the years of a man is three score plus ten, 70 years. So Jeremiah goes off with God and God says, no, they're here for life. Them and all their children, they're here until their days are up. And he comes to them and in Jeremiah 29, 7. Jeremiah 29, 7. He says to them, guys, I know, you're, I know you're in exile. I know this is hard for you. I know this isn't what you would want. But you seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find welfare. You may be in a job this morning that you think this is like being in exile. Or you may live in a place where you don't want to live and you may think this is like being in exile. Let me encourage you this morning to go to the Lord with that before you just seek a change. I know for me in my own life, I, I'm always seeking to change my situations because I'm in it for my own good. I'm thinking, what's, what's going to be my welfare? What's going to bring me the best? What neighborhood's going to bring me and my family the best? What job's going to bring me and my family the best? They went into exile. This wasn't the best. But it was the best because it's what God had for them. They could have tried to get out of that thing and get out of that thing and get out of that thing. 
and it wasn't going to go good for them. But what God said to them is, you seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you and pray to the Lord on its behalf and in their welfare, you will have welfare. It's this idea that if, I'm, if I live where I live and I work where I work because God's called me there, even though it may be like exile, and I pray for their welfare and I seek their welfare, I can trust that God knows best for me and my family. I can trust that God knows best for what I'm doing. Last week, Brian showed us a graph of kind of where this, where this community Peter's writing to is going to. They're starting cohesive. They're starting with fellowship, and then they move out into, into hospitality, and then they go into serving and participating in the community around them. What we've been talking about is we've been talking about what does it look like to serve the community? What does it look like to really engage the community? Not just to be Christians in a community that there's needs, and there's problems, and there's situations, but we're just not concerned. But no, no, what does it look like to be engaged with the world around but, so we've been looking at what it looks like to serve, but now let's take a little bit of time to look at what it looks like to participate. And I want to start in Jeremiah 29.6, just the verse before we just read. This is how Jeremiah tells the people to participate in the Babylonian life. He says, build houses. If you want to participate where God has you, maybe buy a house. Get settled in. Live in them, plant gardens, and eat their produce. Get settled in here. Expect this to be the place where you get your food from. Take wives and have sons and daughters. That's a good one. Get married, have kids. Get settled in. Let the community get used to you being around. Let the community take note that you're here to stay. Because you're not just here for yourself. You're here to bless them. A few other things you could do. You could invest in a local business. You could visit local businesses. You could get consistent in your life. I know my wife and I, we've been thinking a lot about our rhythms of life and just noticing that we're kind of random in the things that we do. Kind of go on dates in random places and get gas at random places and shop at random. We're just thinking, okay, if there's any consistency we can build in here, we can, we can more fully kind of participate in the community. So if we can, we're going to go on dates in our neighborhood and get gas and shop and now, I could get crazy and legalistic real quick, but it's an idea. Yeah, I could get consistent here. I could get to know the people. I could come to a business owner and say, thank you for being here. I'm glad you're here. I'm going to visit your business. I'm going I'm to take part in what your business is doing because I want to see it stick. Another thing you could do, you could become a Cardinals fan. <laughs> you think I'm joking. You could become a Blues fan. love you guys. I have a secret. When I came to St. Louis, I was an Atlanta Braves fan. Love you, Bass. And I kind of hide that under now, you know, because I want to celebrate what St. Louis is celebrating, but there's still a little, there's still a little Brave in there, a little Sheffield under my, and my soul. Seriously, we can celebrate what the city celebrates. We can't celebrate everything because it's not, all, it's not all pleasing to God. But whatever we can, we can affirm it and say, no, we're with this city. We're committed here. You could bless a neighbor this week just to make it actionable. This week you could say, I'm going to do something to bless my neighborhood or to bless a neighbor. You could have a barbecue, help somebody that you see maybe has a need. If the, if the grass is 10 feet tall, maybe go mow it for them. 
Uh, take time, really, to just be with people. This is so inconvenient. I mean, it's like you're late somewhere and your neighbor wants to talk for the first time. It's like, ooh, I don't want to. But it's in, it is inconvenient, but it, it's totally worth the investment. Take time for people. Another thing, commit to a community group. If you're here and you're thinking, what does this church do? Like, I just don't see like all these kind of flashy ministries or these, I don't see all these huge ways to get involved. 99% of what we do as a church happens through community groups. So we're fellowshipping in groups. We're hospitalitying in groups. (laughs) We're serving. We're participating in groups. All those things I was telling you about, that all happened through groups. One of the stories I didn't tell you, some of our community groups out in the county recently, they, they were praying that God would give them an open door for the Lindbergh School District. And they heard of this need where a lady's house had burnt down. And so they came together and said, guys, we got to do something about this. So they, they put their money together, got about $1,000 in gift cards and gave it to her and said, hey, we just want to bless you. Had never met her before. Why? Because we're a community together, blessing the world. As God said to Abram, you're blessed, therefore I'm making you a blessing to the nations. That's why we do it. Commit to a community group. We're starting this location out in the county in Chesterfield, Kirkwood area. Our heart is not just to stop with that. Our heart is to continue to go out and out and out. We want to go west into Chesterfield and beyond. We want to go north into Central West End and North City and North County. And we want to go east into East St. Louis and Illinois. We want to go south into South County. We want to partner together with Christians across the world until the ends of the earth is filled with his glory. That as the waters cover the sea, so the earth will be filled with his glory. That's what we're about. It's this whole word and deed ministry. It's, it's what Jesus preached and it's how Jesus lived. Scripture says that we're now his hands and his feet. We're his body on this earth. Salt and light in a tasteless and dark place. This call on us is much higher than what we could ever be in our own strength. I mean, when I look at this verse, and I would imagine it's the same for you, when you look at what it means to fellowship like the scripture calls us to fellowship, and what it means to be hospitable like the scripture calls, and what it means to serve and participate, I mean, when you look at that thing, you've got to think, God, how on earth can I do this? And that's exactly where he wants us to be. Right where he wants us to be is where we say, God, I can't do this without you. We can't do this without you. It leads us to a place of being trusting in him, depending on him. It's a supernatural work of God. And really it has more to do with who we are than what we do. But as we come to him, Jesus, the living stone, where we started this series, that's where we're going to finish this series. Come to him, the living stone, and he makes us into this people. He makes us into a blessing to the nations. If you'd get out your communication card with me.